Today we begin a new series of study in the Gospel of John. Uh, We've entitled it, The Great I Am. In John's Gospel, you find a variety of, of, of theological teaching that is rich and deep and uh, the kind that you could really spend so much time in, and, and we will spend a lot of time in our study of the Gospel of John, but along the way you will find these I am statements where Jesus says I am and then gives us either a metaphor or some other specific instruction. And while the messages are not built around them, the theme actually is uh, John wrote his gospel in order that we would know Jesus. If you were going to simplify the thesis and make a statement that is most direct, the whole point of what John wrote was so that we would know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I want to read to you a passage that comes from John 20. We're going to obviously be studying from 1 verses 1 through 5, but In verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This summarizes so well the purpose of the gospel and for the way in which we are to understand it, it will be a guiding principle throughout our study together that will bring us back to a focused attention on Jesus throughout. I want to read something that was written in a commentary by Matt Carter and John Redberg. They, they wrote this statement in response to this as an introduction. It says, the current religious culture in America loves to talk about belief, and believing. Those spiritual buzzwords are often used generically and end up devoid of meaning. Contemporary spirituality trumpets not belief in an object or a person, but rather belief in belief. It goes something like this. It doesn't matter who you believe or what you believe. All that matters is that you believe. That's belief in belief. For 25 years, the high priest of this philosophy in the United States was Oprah Winfrey. She didn't care what you believed, she just wanted you to believe. She was convinced that if you believed something, your life would improve. A few years ago, she had an atheist on her show. The atheist described the sense of wonder that she experienced when she stood at the edge of the ocean. Here was Oprah's response. Well, I don't call you an atheist then. I think if you believe in the awe and wonder and mystery, then that is what God is. It's not a bearded guy in the sky. Oprah was peddling a brand of spirituality that revolved around believing and belief. As long as a person has faith, he or she is fine, even while we ignore the object of faith. John's gospel doesn't call us to believe in belief or to put faith in faith. His teaching on belief is much deeper and more robust and infinitely more life-giving than any modern pop culture philosophy. In the course of 21 chapters, the gospel writer answers three questions. What do we, uh, what do we need 
to believe? What does it mean to believe? And why do we need to believe? I think you'll find those answers as we see Jesus revealed with great clarity in the Gospel of John. Today, as we consider this, where should we start? Let's start in the beginning. In John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Three things to help gather our thoughts in these first five verses. The first of them is divinity. The divine, that which is the pinnacle of spirituality, is what is intended by the word divinity. John wrote in part to emphasize the deity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. There were those who claimed that he was not fully God while he was on this earth. That when he was born in the manger, he was just a baby like you or me. And that his divinity was something that was imparted to him post-resurrection. And that God granted him status. There are others that have looked to this passage and have concluded that he wasn't divine from the beginning, but rather something that came about as a result of God's creative work so that Jesus isn't preexistent, but rather he came into existence. All of these things are aberrations and false teachings that take us away from the important work of knowing Christ as God. John writes in order to affirm that indeed Jesus Christ is divine. In John 17, it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What we find about the divinity revealed in these brief statements is that Jesus is before all things. In the beginning was the Word. Does it sound familiar? It should. It sounds much like what we read in Genesis 1, when we read that in the beginning, God created. Again, what we read here, in the beginning was the Word. Now keep in mind that what this is teaching us is that not just that he was present, but in order for him to be present in the beginning, he had to be present before the beginning. The preexistence of Christ, the preexistence of God is on beautiful display. The Word was God and the Word was with God. And these two things as they emerge remind us that Jesus existed before creation. Jesus existed with God before creation. Thus God existed likewise before creation. False gods are man-made, but the true God existed before everything else. If you take nothing else from this passage and its brevity, then take from it a firm grasp of what it means to have a Christ-centered worldview. This world is not the result of random occurrences. It is not the result of evolutionary development. It is not the result of some sort of massive explosion that had no divine creation. This world and everything exists beyond it in the entirety of universe and existence came into existence by the one who preceded it. 
You say, well, I don't understand it, and it doesn't fit with the scientific lessons. Well, I'm asking you to place your faith in the one who's redeeming you, not in the ones who revile truth. I'm not telling you that you are no longer thinking. I was sharing my faith with a friend one time who wasn't a believer or maybe had been one and somewhere along the way he lost his direction. And I said, what is wrong with you? How is it that all of those years of your growing up and your godly parents and home that you came to the conclusion that Christianity is meaningless? What happened to you? And he looked at me and he said, I grew a brain. I punched him (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) We had more conversations. Almost 20 years later, after that conversation, I got a call from that same person. And I said, what's up? He said, I wanted you to know that I've grown a heart. I'm not telling you that you can't be a thinking person. I believe that Christians are among the most intelligent beings on the planet. I believe that we have a great deal to offer a world that is hurting. I believe that we have the capability to influence and to lead in every aspect and area of life just as anyone else could. But I believe that what undergirds that is an awareness of the appropriate place that we all hold in this created order and the understanding that the one that we serve is not subject to it, but the means by which we all have come into existence in the first place. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is God. The Word was God. Christ is not one of many gods, nor is He a God that was made after the fact. He is Himself fully God and from before anything else existed. Much is made out of the use of the term word. It is the word logos that we find in the Greek text. It's very familiar. The Greek philosophers loved to focus attention on it and spoke of it frequently. And they talked about the divine logos as something that was some sort of ethereal reality that informed all of life. And while that is somewhat true, it misses the whole point. Jesus brings embodiment to the reality of what we know to be true. And so the word is a description of who Christ is, but also of what Christ does. He perfectly and ultimately and eternally communicates and conveys to us everything that is needed to be known about God. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There's a reality here that gives us an understanding that is not possible apart from the divine work of God delivering to us the ultimate word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God. 
John MacArthur says this, confusion about the deity of Christ is inexcusable because the biblical teaching regarding it is clear and unmistakable. Jesus Christ is the preexistent word who enjoys full face-to-face communion and divine life with the Father and is himself God. When you worship Jesus, you worship God. When you worship God, you worship the Son. To emphasize this reality, John restates verse 1 and verse 2. So that when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he goes on and says, he was in the beginning with God. Why is he emphasizing? Why is he restating? Because repetition of that which is most real is necessary in order to anchor it in our understanding. If we do not have a clear understanding of who Christ is and we understand that he is God and that God is revealed fully in Christ, then we are missing the whole point of the incarnation and we are missing the whole point and value of salvation and we will never know the beauty and power of glorification. All of it depends, it all depends on what you believe about Jesus. Is he God? Some would tell us he's a great man, a good teacher, an ethical person, one who brought to us a message of love and peace. And while all of those things are certainly true, they seem to be diminishing the reality that this great man is our great God. They diminish the reality that the love of which he spoke is the love that is beyond anything that can be known apart from him. It is an agape love that has only God as its source, its means, and its expression. He came to right all that is wrong. He came to repair all that we have damaged. He came to reconcile a relationship distant, broken, and lost. So that when we hear and when we read and when we see such clarity that speaks to us of who Christ is, it brings an awareness and an understanding of Jesus that goes beyond everything else. So that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is God, and the Word is with God. One of the things then that these verses teach us is the principles that put in motion our understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Do you understand the Trinity? If you do, see me afterwards. I'd love for you to explain it to me. I've never been able, nor do I think any of us will ever be able to fully grasp the infinite nature of the divine Trinity. And yet we know that God is three and yet he is one. We know that he is revealed in so many powerful ways through the word of God that teaches us that he is the father, he is the son, he is the spirit. How do we reconcile all of that? We don't other than by faith. It is in faith and belief and conviction of the reality of who Christ is that we understand even better the manner in which God has chosen to enable our understanding of him through the triune God. All of them are necessary. All of them are needed. All of it brings greater understanding, awareness, so that we see God the Father in an exalted, glorified fashion. We see the Son 
through the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we see the Spirit emboldening and and indwelling in the life of the believer to give us the affirmation that we belong to Him, are guided by Him, understand what He has spoken to us, and that we are kept in Him. All of this speaks to the wonderful work of redemption that Christ is accomplishing in our lives, all of which is for the purpose that we would be children of God, brought into a relationship that we otherwise could not know. Divinity, then, is revealed in verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, creativity. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word creativity oftentimes inspires kind of the wrong understanding and so I don't want that to happen. We think about our own ability. Many of you have such creative abilities, whether it's with an artistic ability or whether it's with a musical talent or whether it's with some other form of expression. That's all a creative work that reveals the fact that you are made in the image of God, who is the ultimate creator. And so creativity makes it sound like God goes to craft shows. And that's not what I mean at all. Uh, I don't want you to think of that. Does he go to craft shows? I don't know. I'm sure he does. Um, Please don't send me uh, heated emails about negative crafting things that I might say. I don't don't mean anything by it. I just don't do it. Um, I love the the meme. My wife showed it to me uh, the other day on Facebook. uh, And there was a husband and a wife that went into Hobby Lobby and he gathered a bunch of those big letters that you always find in craft places. And he spelled out, my wife won't leave. <laughs> I, I connected well with that. Um, <clears throat> creativity, it speaks of the creative work of God. It spe- speaks of the creation itself coming into existence because of what God has done through the word so that Jesus was not only present before creation, but now we see he was active in creation. John uses a word to focus the attention on each detail of creation rather than simply taking a broad universal approach. The difference is the personal nature that is associated with him saying he created all things. Notice all things. All things were made through him. He's not saying everything was made through him. He's saying each individual element. All things. Imagine how it changes our appreciation, not only of each other and those around us, but the world itself and everything that is materially existing within it. If we take the time and we pause to consider the reality that everything that exists, exists because he created all things. All things are made through him. All things came into existence because of him. He is the agent of creation and the means by which everything that we know exists. 
It is a powerful statement regarding the creative work that God has done. It is a very personal and individual expression, however, that ensures that not only have all things come into existence because of him, but everything continues because of him as well, so that he is creator as well as sustainer. In addition to the personal nature of creation in which Jesus is the agent, his sustaining work beyond creation so that without him, nothing that was made was made. Nothing exists without Jesus and nothing continues without Jesus, thus reminding us that in all of the created order, he is sovereign over you and me and over the world in which we live. Again, what I'm hoping to do and what I prayerfully am trying to convey is the essential nature of your understanding of a Christ-centered worldview. This world exists because it came into existence through the creative work of Christ. So that the Savior that you serve and the Spirit in which you are indwelt is the same one who brought everything into existence. If God can create the universe, then he can also redeem those who call him Lord. The whole point of this is not because you get to have a greater awareness of the benefit and blessing that is ours through faith in Jesus, but rather that because of that faith, we are blessed with a greater understanding of the praise and glory that belongs only and ultimately to him. The creative work of Jesus then reminds us that he is not just the baby in the manger, nor is he the teacher who walked this earth, nor is he the savior who died on the cross or the one who rose from the dead alone, but he is in all of those things, the creator of everything. This is the very heart then of a Christ-centered worldview, understanding that he created it He sustains it, and he will ultimately make it new without sin. Leads us to the declaration, Jesus is Lord. In verses 4 and 5, we see thirdly, eternity itself. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Eternity. Divinity, creativity, and eternity all on display in beautiful and powerful fashion. He tells us that Jesus accomplishes for us two things. In him is life and light. Two images, two means of understanding what we experience through faith in Christ. Jesus came to bring life and to do so with great abundance Without Jesus, though, we are reminded that we're dead in our sins. Death means separation of the soul from the body in a physical sense, but spiritual death is separation of the soul from God. Jesus came to bring life that reunites the body and the soul in physical life and reconciles the soul with God in spiritual life. Jesus came to earth to call people from death to life, to a living, vibrant relationship through faith in him. If you're not 
walking in faith, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you aren't living, you're existing. And that's it. But through faith in Jesus, we live in a way that goes beyond the limitations, the frustrations of this experience and reminds us that what we are being made for is far greater than what we can know now. Life. It has been an interesting period of time, hasn't it? I'll have more to say about it in our members meeting, but I got to tell you that 2022, I'm happy to see it gone. I am. I spent way too much time doing funeral services for people that I have known half of my life or more. I spent way too much time consoling and comforting families who were experiencing the depth of that loss and grief. And this church lost godly people that have given and sacrificed and served faithfully throughout all of these years, almost in obscurity and anonymity. And yet when they were gone, it was as though a vacuum pulled a portion of the very air that I breathe out of this building. I had hopes that 23 would be better, and I still do. But as we ended, so we have begun. If the only thing that we had to keep us going was the absence of loss, we'd be done. But you know, for every one of those people that left us, my only sadness is not because they have gone to the Lord, because I'm thrilled about that. It is only that they are lost from us now. They are no longer with us. Some of them hadn't been with us or able to attend for years, and yet their prayers and their presence and their participation in whatever way, just as a name, if nothing else, added to the collective. But I never stood once at the graveside of one of these beloved that I was not filled with hope and was not deepened in my confidence that they're not here. They're with Jesus. Jesus came to bring life, for without it, all we have is what we have now, and that's not enough. Jesus came to bring life because it means something to live beyond the moments that pass and to live beyond the limitations and the frustrations and the losses. Jesus came to bring life in a full and meaningful way that would transcend all that death seeks to squelch. So that even in the midst of the end of a physical life, there remains an abiding hope that is undiminished and unquenched. He came to bring life. You and I were born with sin, separated from God, which is exactly what it means to be dead. 
Death isn't defined by the absence of a heartbeat or breath. Death is defined by the separation of the soul from the body physically and the separation of the soul from God spiritually. Jesus came in order to bring life. He is life. But you can only know what it means to truly be alive through faith in Jesus. But he came to bring light as well. Jesus brought life to the spiritually dead and light to the spiritually darkened. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and ushers us into the eternal light and life. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, his coming was predicted with these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah promised and prophesied of the coming of the light, the light of the world that would illuminate the darkness. But there are two elements to this illumination. One is that he guides us through and shows us the way so that we can see with greater clarity. The other is that he shines the light of righteousness and truth on us so that our sinfulness is exposed. There is no way to be in constant belief and faithful confession of Christ as Savior and not also be struck with the awareness of our own sinfulness and our own limitations. If the light of Jesus is allowed to shine in the lives of those who love him, there will be a glorious illumination of life itself, but there will also be a very specific focus of attention on that which isn't. The gospel is life for those who believe. It is condemnation and death. For those who do not. But he reminds us that in spite of those realities, in verse 5, that the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Gospel of John depicts the struggle between light and darkness, but concludes with the victory of light. In fact, the darkness does not possess the ability to defeat the light. In fact, John uses a verb in this verse to show completed action, meaning that the reality that the darkness cannot and has not overcome it is fixed. There is no wondering as to whether or not God wins. He already has. He always did. There isn't anything that you or I can do to derail the intent, the purpose, and the will of Almighty God. There isn't anything that you or I can do to thwart the efforts of redemption that have been brought about through faith in Jesus Christ. So that our trust and our faith being placed in him is not something that is ever in jeopardy. And it is the only fixed point in our lives upon which we can build a foundation to stand from now on, knowing that nothing, nothing can move us. He reminds us that he is the anchor of the soul. He is the foundation upon which the house is built. He is the sure and certain cornerstone of all of life. 
the darkness cannot overcome it. It's a little overwhelming when you live in a world that's as dark as ours. And yet it is a reminder that the glory that is given as he reminds us that the word that was before the beginning, that was God and was with God, has come to us in the flesh to redeem us from sin, to draw us into a hope that is eternal. All of this reminds us that the things that Christ has accomplished and the one that is declared through the gospel of John is the very son of God, is God, and has already won the victory. All that remains for you to enjoy the blessing that is associated with this truth and reality is your faith in Jesus Christ. 